Just a heads up, listeners, before we begin the podcast, tonight's story contains some strong language. So, just so you know, it might not be appropriate for kids. All right, that said, let's begin the show. Everlasting Stories Podcast, presented by Six Semper Serpent Books in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm your host, Michael Strand, Managing Editor. In this podcast, we bring to you fantastic pulp fiction short stories from the Everlasting Stories archive found at patreon.com slash sixsemperserpent. In the Everlasting Stories archive, you'll find fun, progressive shorts from science fiction and fantasy to mystery and steampunk. In other words, modern pulp fiction. If you like what you hear, you can gain access to this story and the entire written archive by becoming a patron of Six Semper Serpent at the $1 a month level. If you would like early access to future episodes of this podcast, simply sign up at the $3 a month level and you can hear stories weeks before anyone else. Tonight's story is titled Exodus and is the third in the Titan Station series. It was written by Michael Strand, that's me, and published last year, 2018, on the Everlasting Stories Archive. In our last episode, Benjamin Scholl and Sarah Fitzgerald emerged from hypersleep only to find themselves on a shattered ghost station orbiting Mars. They fixed the computer and awakened the artificial intelligence, Terence. Now, in this story, they have to find a way off of the space station, if there is one. But I won't give away more now. That wouldn't be fair. I'm about to read the story after all. So just sit back, relax, and let my voice do all the work. All right. This is Titan Station Part 3, Exodus by Michael Strand. Sarah, Ben, and Terence searched the derelict station as thoroughly as possible. Some parts of Titan were so ruined they opened wide into space, displaying a vast field of shattered debris floating quiet across a dark abyss. Ben lacked serious space training as he'd been raised on Earth. The low-gravity, high-exposure work made him space-sick and dizzy. He endured it the best he could. Survival demanded it. Sarah rarely opened up. She felt close to Ben, detached, marooned. She never spoke of her life before the accident. Only the work that lay before them. Ben didn't pry. They thoroughly searched the habitat ring. Many hypersleep pods contained desiccated corpses. Several more looked to have been emptied centuries before. No other survivors. 
Some systems had been cut off from the terminal core, keeping Terrans from accessing those parts of the station. Everything on Titan carried redundancies and backup batteries. If they could physically access those systems, they could learn more about their situation. One such place was the Forward Operations Bridge, which could only be opened by explosives. Blowing the shielded blast door took all day. Inside, Ben and Sarah found a few dead crew members and piles of ruined equipment. The view screen shone bright with naked sunlight, ripped open and exposed to the vacuum of space. Sarah removed Terence's interface chip from her suit and plugged it into a secondary bridge terminal. The keyboard illuminated nearby. She typed away, squinting through her helmet at the glowing display before her. Terence, please cross-check the hangar bay manifest. Well, that's 23 Raja-class shuttles, 17 scout runners, and two Class A heavy cruisers from Earth, full of dignitaries for the Darwin Conference, both moored on the docking ring. The manifest scrolled onto the screen. Okay, now we'll know how many people might have escaped and what's operable. We might still be able to get off this station. Mm, caution would be prudent, Sarah. Terence interjected. The debris fields would pose a major threat to any but the smallest, most agile craft. There's no way to get the heavy cruisers clear of the field? Ben asked. Absolutely not. Ben and Sarah both scowled. They floated alone together on the bridge for a moment, bathed in the light from the terminal, saying nothing. No way home. No safe way through the debris field. Their isolation crushed in on them. Even in zero-G, Ben felt like he weighed a million pounds. Terence, can you patch into the sensor array opposite the Mars blast? See if you can't crowdsource a general wavelength scan. Sarah said, her voice breaking the silence in Ben's helmet. Maybe we can pinpoint the source of the signal that awakened us. Yep, yep, good idea, Fitz, let's see. Terence's digital voice trailed off. Working. Give me a minute. Sarah pulled up the external cam on the lateral array, which showed a bunch of conical nodes, mostly moving in unison as Terence scanned various wavelengths. All right, guys, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Good news first, Ben said. Um, well, the anomalous signal is still active and coming from the vicinity of the shuttle bay. And the bad news? Um... Well, the backup fusion core is unstable and will enter into irreversible meltdown in less than 15 hours. A blaring emergency signal echoed through their helmets, and then matching lights flooded blood red across the decking and walls around them. What the fuck happened? Sarah shouted, angry and surprised. The core red stable when we reinitialized the reactor. Sorry, Fitz. One of the coolant flow valves has mechanically failed. I didn't pick up on the radiation spike until I did the scan. The internal sensors are offline, and that includes the sensors in the fusion core. Terence spoke quickly, as though he were at a busy desk, distracted by many tasks. The valve should have been replaced hundreds of years ago. The station is just old, Fitz. Even Terence's mechanical voice sounded scared. Titan served as his body. And, in a way, he just had a heart attack. I'm so sorry, Terence said, 
putting a countdown clock on the screen. It's not your fault, Terrence. Sarah sighed, softening. We just have to get off this dying giant. Ben didn't expect the shuttle bay to be so huge. Compared to the rest of the station he'd seen so far, it was the largest area. Body parts and tatters of clothing littered the bay. A big crowd of people had been in here when the hull blew. The constant emergency flashing followed them here, too. Hard darkness filled every corner not baked by light streaming through rents in the hull or the red flashes. Floating pieces of person and station occupied the huge space like icebergs in a polar ocean. No gravity to moor the dead. Several shuttles had been crushed by huge chunks of metal. Many more floated scorched and twisted, burned by debris. A few, however, were missing. Gosh, the disaster must have happened so quickly they could only launch a handful of escape ships, Ben breathed. Terrence, will these things still fly? Terrence appeared on a terminal nearby. Tricky, he muttered, almost to himself. The only ships capable of traversing that field are the scout runners, and there are six that have power retention and are still atmosphere tight. Ben and Sarah glanced at each other, a glimmer of hope leaping through them both. Terrence, even if there is degradation or damage, I could probably get anything with a functioning drive unit in working order, Sarah said, before trailing off. Um, but, Ben said for her. But, even if we could get them out of the debris field, we couldn't get them back to Earth. These things aren't built for interplanetary transit. Hell, I don't know if they'd even make re-entry. I'd rather die in a scout runner than be burned alive on a haunted space station, Ben said trying not to shiver as he pushed away a flash-frozen body. Hey guys, I got some. Terrence's voice chirped into their helmets as his image flickered on the shuttle bay screen, his cloud of curly salt-and-pepper hair framing a shrewd expression. What is it? Ben said. Picked up an anomalous signal. The one that woke us up? I think so. Can you tell what it is yet? Yeah, I'm not certain. Still insufficient data. It's just an errant power source that corresponds to the signal signature I picked up on the ops bridge. Where is it, Terrence? Sarah asked. It's at the far end of the hangar. Point the way, Ben said. Terrence activated a set of small security lights inset into the metal decking of the bay, which blinked into the dark, cavernous space. Ben and Sarah floated through the darkness, their wrist-mounted lights cutting cones of hard incandescence into the inky abyss. The gnarled hulls of ruined shuttles flashed in and out of view as they floated along. After a while, the indicator lights terminated in an open space in front of one of the bay doors. The signal emanates from here, Terrence said. Ben and Sarah scanned the area with their lights. Nothing. Um, are you sure? Ben asked. There's nothing here. I'm certain. Terrence, there isn't a fucking thing out here. Sarah said, pushing off from a ruined shuttle nearby and floating towards the center of the open space. She moved about halfway across when she struck an invisible wall. Hard. 
The sound of her spacesuit striking the invisible surface echoed in Ben's calm. Her body bounced off into the gravity-free void. Sarah, are you okay? Oh, fuck, that hurt. She growled as her thrusters fired into the darkness and stabilized her. No breaches, so I'm all right. As she answered, the mystery object she'd hit began to glow with a ghostly light. Ripples, like heat waves on summer pavement, glimmered across its surface. A sleek polyhedral device appeared in the dark bay. Unlike the burned, twisted metal of the station, the device undulated with an ethereal glow. It looked unusual and brand new. Ben and Sarah floated slowly round the probe, Terence's tiny image emanating from Sarah's 3D wrist display. He took scans and narrated his findings. Scan readings say it's an autonomous probe containing heavy shielding and a cloak, presumably to infiltrate hostile environments like this one. Okay, so who launched it? Sarah asked. Hmm, indeterminate without interface. You weren't thinking about plugging into that thing, Ben said. Uh, duh, of course. Yes, but Terrence, what if it's a trap? A bomb? Terrence's tiny image scowled at her, as though to scold her for the thought. My scans indicate this probe corresponds to the signal which awakened you from hypersleep. Terrence had a point. <sighs> I guess we're out of options. Sarah floated close to the shimmering object and reached out her hand. As her fingertips brushed the surface, a panel revealed, automatically from the wavering, liquid-like surface. Sarah plugged Terence into the open slot. Ho, ho, ho. Terence's voice spoke over the calm. Really, this is far out. What is it, Ben asked. There's a file here, for your eyes only. For us? Ben asked. For both of you, Terence said. So you're saying that someone knows we're here? That it's us specifically? Sarah asked. It's encrypted. I'll download the file, Terence replied. By the way, you have just 12 hours left. Back in their headquarters in the Habitat Ring, Sarah worked feverishly on accessing the data from the mystery probe. Ben stayed in the shuttle bay, clearing debris for their escape. This included the macabre task of pushing flash-frozen bodies into a pile by the far wall. Hey, Ben. The sound of Sarah's voice in his helmet gave Ben a startle. The creepy place and flashing lights had put him on edge. He let go of the frozen corpsicle he'd been pressing into an unoccupied corner. Terrence uncovered a mission briefing video. I still can't get access. The needed security code is way outside my league to crack. And that's saying something. I need your help. Ben glanced at the countdown on his wrist panel. Just over ten hours remaining. Thank goodness, he breathed, looking around and shivering in the creepy room. Look, Sarah, I don't know any secret codes, okay? I'm just a biology professor, 
been explained. After several more fruitless hours hacking at the data, he could practically feel the countdown clock ticking down on his arm. Hunger and thirst gnawed at him, exhaustion weighing down his sunken eyes. Come on, Ben. Think, Sarah said emphatically. This probe is coded to you and me somehow. Someone sent this to us specifically. We tried every access code we've ever used. What is something that only you might know? Something that someone from the future might use to keep data safe for us? Um, okay, maybe... Um, okay, Ben said, suddenly thinking of what he and only he might know. I'm an expert in non-lingual interspecies communication, okay? I discovered a primer in the way different species interact over time, independent of other evolutionary factors. For what I created, I made a mathematical algorithm of a sort to describe and predict these patterns in large biospheres. It's my life's work. Biospheres like Mars? Sarah asked. Yes, indeed. Mars specifically. Part of the reason why I came here for the conference was to begin overseeing the next phase of terraforming efforts. We were going to add animals, Sarah shrugged. Your algorithm sounds as good as anything we have so far. Sure, but it isn't secret information. Anybody can look up my primer, though I did discover it. Okay, well, what's it called? Um, the shoal coefficient. Huh, of course. Sarah said, rolling her eyes. Then Terence interjected. You know, Sarah, might I suggest also entering my core program sequence as part of the access key? You did invent it. Good thinking, Terence. We'll try both numbers. Ben started typing a series of what looked like random numbers. He typed for several minutes. You keep all of that in your head? Sarah asked. Color me impressed. Yeah, sure, why not? You know how that confangled computer core works, Ben said as he entered the last digits. We all have a speciality in this life. In that, you're right, Sarah said, stepping forward to enter a relatively simple, elegant set of integers, an image of Terence's soul. When she finished the sequence, an automated application launched in the hollow viewer. In a flash, a tiny man appeared in the 3D display on the terminal before them. He wore a trim white beard, simple white coat, and bright green eyes, his silver hair glimmering with a blinding holographic glow. Then, the tiny holographic figure spoke. Dear Benjamin Scholl and Sarah Fitzgerald, I know you are wondering why you have awakened alone above a ruined world. I deeply regret not being able to meet you on Titan Station myself. I hope that you will forgive my rudeness. The seriousness of my work here necessitates that your rescue be autonomous. Let me introduce myself. My name is Dr. Arthur Havel. I am sorry to say that I am the reason why you are alone, why you are stranded. Ben and Sarah paid each other a significant look. A few years before the accident which destroyed Mars, two research stations were secretly created to test new modes of faster-than-light travel. One team on Mars 
and another at my location, a secret facility orbiting Saturn. Needless to say, a miscalculation befell the Mars facility. At this, the hologram image of Dr. Havel stopped talking, emotion twisting his brow into a deep furrow. The figure was then replaced by an image of a fantastical machine disintegrating into a blinding light, vaporizing human bodies. Then it cut to a shot of a massive explosion destroying New Musk City, and then again to an orbital image of a bright ring of ghostly light rippling fast across the face of Mars, annihilating everything in its path. We made mistakes. The hollow image continued heavily, speaking over the horrific footage. Grave mistakes. We took the forces of fundamental physics for granted. We were foolish. I myself lost my sister and many friends in the disaster. The hologram returned to the image of Dr. Havel. Following the loss of Mars, the political situation on Earth deteriorated quickly. The solar economy collapsed. Higher-ups suspended the faster-than-light program, and rightly so. The dream of reaching beyond the confines of the Oort cloud, beyond the boundaries of the sun's gravity, died along with Mars. For a time. Since the Kepler array of the early 21st century, humans have known of the existence of other Earth-like planets. Humanity has, for centuries, dreamed of embarking on a journey to an alien world. Now, however, our very survival as a species necessitates such a journey. Earth, you see, is dying. For many years, the death has creeped across its surface. But now, true death is inevitable. Despite your best efforts, Dr. Scholl, the web of life on Earth could not be saved. The damage of these long, isolated centuries has been just too extensive, the hunger of humanity too intense. At one time, Mars served as the foothold for consciousness beyond the confines of Earth. We put all of our faith in Mars. When our hubris erased it from the solar system, Exoplanets became our final hope for perpetuating the light of human consciousness in the universe. However, we faced a dilemma. Only our few people in the entire solar system at the time could complete the project. Traveling to a new world, colonizing it, terraforming it. This requires specialized talent. Talent like yours. Yes. Both of you are important minds. We've been watching you both for years, even before the disaster. And we would have recruited you centuries ago, but fate intervened. After the disaster, we made the very difficult determination to leave you in deep stasis until the project again reached a sufficient level of maturity. As we had no guarantee that minds as competent and beautiful as yours, would emerge again. Sarah reached out and paused the hollow recording. They left us here on purpose? She smacked the panel next to her, hard, rage shaking her body. Because we're what? Smart? Ben felt the hot sting of sadness cut through his own heart. He thought of his friends, his brother, his girlfriend, all long dead. 
The look on Sarah's face reflected his outrage. They should have been rescued long ago. Ben again tapped the play button as Sarah rubbed her sunken, sleep-deprived eyes. Despite their situation, Dr. Havel had sparked his imagination. I am so deeply sorry. You must understand. Our choice to leave you in stasis was the hardest decision we have ever had to make. And you weren't the only ones to leave behind your old lives for the sake of this mission. I, myself, have spent nearly 275 years in stasis, emerging briefly at key times to orchestrate recruitment and oversee the completion of the Absolute Project. We have been keeping, in hypersleep stasis, the team of core experts needed to mount this expedition. The crew I have gathered from across space and time consists of the best and the brightest humanity has to offer, ever. Though it took three long centuries, the technological barriers have been overcome. Currently, under construction at Saturn, is a ship that can traverse the long, lonely expanse between the stars. If we are successful in preparing the planet for colonization, a fleet of similar ships will carry the survivors of Earth to join us on our new world. You are the final missing pieces of this long overdue puzzle. Therefore, waiting for you in orbit around Mars, a few thousand kilometers outside Titan Station Debris Field, is a ship capable of traveling to Saturn. Reach it any way you can and come here to join us, please. This is a one-way trip. Good luck and good journey. We'll see you on Saturn. Dr. Arthur Havel. The digital figure disappeared replaced by the blank hollow generator plate. So they want us to go to another planet, Sarah said, flatly conflicted. We've been picked to participate in the greatest project humanity has ever known. Ben's voice shook with emotion. I mean, it's unbelievable. Faster than light travel? A miracle, to be sure. But at what cost? All these people are dead. Mars is dead. My friends are dead. My... Her voice trailed off into muteness. I know. It's not fair. They sat in silence together for a long time, alone in the tiny blue-lit room. Sarah's empty hypersleep pod lay open and dark in the corner. Packaging from food cubes littered the floor. Finally, Terrence's voice broke the silence. Uh, guys, we have like three hours to find this ship and get out of here. Terrence is right, Ben said. We can't stay here. There's nothing left for us on Earth. I say we go to Saturn. Sarah seemed to battle within herself. She struggled silently for a long time. Ben said nothing. You're right, she finally said, her brow furrowing into defiance. No matter where our path leads, I refuse to die out here. Thank you.
Ben and Sarah returned to the probe in the hangar bay. It hovered in the dark vacuum with a gentle pulse, its liquid surface dancing in the light from their wrist lamps and the emergency flashes. I'll interface and take her for a spin, Terrence said through the crackling intercom in Ben's spacesuit. Sarah floated over to the glowing twenty-sided figure and reached out her gloved hand. The shielding over the access panel, again, peeled back like the skin of an orange, revealing a glittering surface. Sarah inserted Terence's chip and pushed herself back to a safe distance. The surface quavered and then flickered before flashing with Terence's face. One by one, an image of Terence popped into existence on each of the probe's twenty triangular facets until a tiny army stared out in all directions. Extraordinary, he exclaimed, his magnifying voice ringing like a chorus. I've used your combined code to access the higher functions of this device, and boy, is it fancy. Then, the probe began to lift and glimmer more brightly. Terence activated the sensor suite, which projected bright white lasers that scanned the interior of the bay. The flashing lights illuminated the ghostly figures of frozen people and jagged wreckage floating in the dark as they mapped every single centimeter. I've gained access to the bay door control, Terence's voice said. Since there's no atmosphere in here, I'm going to have to skip the decompression sequence, okay? The big bay door before the pod opened with a slow shutter. The star field beyond made Ben feel really dizzy. He wished he could sit down, but he settled for crossing his arms and legs as he slowly spun in the gravity-free chamber. Then Sarah spoke. Terence, please map the debris field and find the ship. See if you can get it activated. We'll get these two scouts ready for launch when you return. Yes, ma'am. Will do. Terence said as he zoomed the probe out of the bay door at breakneck speed. <sighs> He's having way too much fucking fun, Sarah muttered glancing nervously at her countdown clock. Terence whizzed through the debris field, scanning every bit and bolt rotating in the vacuum. Effortlessly, the multi-phase scanners created a three-dimensional map of the billions of fragments. He would need an accurate account of the flight path of every piece larger than a pinhead in order to safely navigate Ben and Sarah to the awaiting Saturn ship. Terence enjoyed the elation of complete freedom of motion. Usually, he lived an existence relegated to terminals and data chips. Though the ecstasy of bodiless existence has its own allure, Nothing beats the feeling of flying. He pressed the propulsion modules to their max, and then beyond max. Even though the ship was just a probe, it possessed technological capabilities well beyond even the best tech of his day. Nothing like a new toy, he said to the void of space, while juking and flitting between hulking pieces of ruined metal. As he went, the map of space junk resolved into a hyper-complex web of multicolored icons. After a while, he'd mapped everything. Then, he started venturing beyond the debris field in search of the Saturn ship. It didn't take long to find. When the probe came within a hundred kilometers of the craft, it activated an automated proximity alert. 
As Terence approached the Saturn ship, its schematics came up automatically into his databanks. The sleek craft possessed gentle curves, centering on a single ring for gravity. The thrust gimbals indicated an advanced ion drive system. Little windows winked and flashed in the sunlight. Terence approached the craft slowly and then docked in the custom bay made for the probe. As he interfaced with the ship, the native computer system signaled his consciousness. Well, hello there, he said in a flirty growl. Terence slid into the computer system and rolled around for a while. He felt a little disappointed to find no AI companion there. But then again, his complete program did take up a lot of space. Even for a ship 300 years advanced, it couldn't compete with Titan's terminal core. If he were to accompany them to Saturn, Terence would need a mostly empty computer to live in. His interface chip was just a proxy code, allowing him to access non-integrated systems, not a home. Obviously, the enigmatic designers of this rescue wanted him to come along, too. Oh, I'm touched, he muttered. Then he transferred as much of his code as he could. He wouldn't need Whitehead and Euclid for now. Terence activated the systems and checked the redundancies. He adjusted the heat and atmosphere to human standards and turned on the lights. He even found a nice Herbie Hancock track in the database to play over the comm. Ah, cozy, he cooed as the quintet played the first strains of Watermelon Man. Okay, back to the meat sacks. Terence undocked the probe and zipped back through the debris towards the broken station in the distance. Terence arrived back in the hangar bay to find Ben and Sarah furiously stalking two of the functioning scout runners with their scavenged supplies. He landed the probe and interfaced with Titan's terminal core, downloading his remaining program. We got ten minutes to reach minimum safe distance, Ben shouted into the comm. Terence, Sarah shouted. Thank fucking goodness you're back. Did you find the ship? Sure did. It's all ready to go, Fitz. Good, good. Quick. Take control of these craft. Roger, roger. With that, the scout runners flared to life. Ben heaved a sigh of relief as the clear cockpit hatch closed around him. He fastened his harness as Terence's image flashed onto his control panel. He glanced over at Sarah, busy in her own cockpit. We're go for launch. Driver's at 80% capacity. Terence spoke into Ben's helmet comm, his voice just slightly out of sync with the panel image. The big bay doors opened before each craft, revealing a dizzying starscape. On the countdown from three, we launch, Sarah's voice said in Ben's helmet. Ahab's yet unbroken boat seemed drawn up towards heaven by invisible wires, as arrow-like, shooting perpendicularly from the sea, Terence said, again quoting Moby Dick. Three, Sarah's voice crackled with exhaustion. Red emergency lights illuminating the empty bay. Two. Ben's thrusters roared to life, shaking his craft with raw power as he tightened his jaw. One. Ben heard his heartbeat in his ears, his breath coming in gasps. Launch. Then, the red emergency lights streaked into a blur of stars and debris. 
Thrusters thawed and then charred floating bodies in the bay. Both scout runners streaked out of the hangar like foxes from a burrow. Ben had never felt such incredible speed. The force crushed his chest. Despite the inertial dampening, his advanced spacesuit, his head snapped back into his helmet, pinning his eyes wide open. He could see why rich people paid a year's worth of, well, his salary for an hour in one of these things. If he hadn't been metaphorically jumping from an exploding cliff, he might have enjoyed himself. Terence navigated the two scout runners and his own polyhedral probe through the whirling debris field. Massive pieces of ruined station came terrifyingly close as they whizzed along. Once or twice, Ben felt convinced he'd hit Sarah's ship, or one of the many millions of heavy chunks of ruined station. No way would he have been able to navigate it himself. Without Terence, he'd have been a bloody streak on a million-ton hunk of decking. He kept a close eye on the countdown timer in relation to the readout of their proximity to minimum safe distance. He did not like the ratio. Come on, Terence. Push it. I know. I know. Terence's digital face scowled in his instrument panel, looking panicked. I'm flying as fast as you can tolerate. Space is big, and so is the blast from that reactor. And then... Finally, the countdown ended in all zeros. That's it. Time's up. The reactor's going. Sarah's voice cut in over the comm. From his cockpit view, Ben could just see a tiny, ultra-bright pinprick in the dark distance expand into a massive orb of white-hot plasma, which hungrily devoured the entirety of the dead station. The energy wave released expanded toward them like a hungry monster. I honestly don't care if they have to replace my spine on Saturn. Just fucking get us to minimum safe distance. Sarah roared over the comm. Okay. Ben felt Terrence push the engines to their absolute max. It uh, voids the warranty to do this, you know. Ben screamed in pain, but no sound came out. He couldn't breathe. He felt the prick of needles as Terence pumped a high-oxygen supplement through his suit and into his blood so his brain wouldn't die. Ben's skull felt as though it would liquefy inside his helmet. His spacesuit tightened around his lower extremities, trying to keep him conscious. His spine creaked and popped as his weight increased to 12 times Earth's gravity. White-hot light mixed with the dark silence of deep space, and then... A harsh jolt. Ben lost consciousness. The final image in his mind's eye. The fast-expanding, sun-like flash of reactor meltdown. folks that's tonight's story i hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed reading and producing it once again you heard exodus by michael strand it was produced for six semper serpent and was the third entry into the titan station series 
On the next episode, we will be hearing The Pequod, which is the fourth installment in the Titan Station series, so stay tuned for that. If you enjoyed this story and you would like more, you can read it now and forever at the Everlasting Stories Archive at patreon.com slash sickseperserpent. You can get full access to this story and the entire archive by subscribing at the $1 a month level. And you can get early access to new episodes of this podcast weeks before anyone else at the $3 a month level. The text for this story and the audio for this podcast were produced by me, Michael Strand, Managing Editor at Six Semper Serpent. The audio was mastered by Mike Lauer, Six Semper Serpent author and area musician. The publisher of this podcast is T. Martin Kraus, Editor-in-Chief at Six Semper Serpent. And finally, the music for this episode of the podcast is by Bay Area producer Binkadink, a.k.a. Caitlin Shepard. Search for her music at binkadink.bandcamp.com. Thank you so much for listening, and if you have been, thanks for subscribing. See you next time on the Everlasting Stories podcast. Podcast.